This is Gil Manser welcoming you to a word-by-word conversation with New York Times bestselling author Megan Miranda about her new psychological thriller, The Perfect Stranger, right here on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Megan Miranda is the New York Times bestselling author of All the Missing Girls. She's also written several books for young adults, including Fracture, Hysteria, Vengeance, Soul Print, and The Safest Lies. Megan grew up in New Jersey, studied biology and anthropology at MIT, worked in biotech before becoming a high school science teacher in North Carolina, where she lives with her husband and two children. Her YA novels were written for a teen audience, and her first adult novel, All the Missing Girls, was written in reverse chronological order and became a New York Times bestseller. The Perfect Stranger is her second novel of psychological suspense. Megan Miranda, welcome to Word by Word. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. You you said that when you taught high school, you realized you have we all have very different experiences, but the same kind of hopes and fears and dreams for the future. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little about that, because you've got a high school teacher in this perfect stranger. Yeah, um, when I was, I went to high school in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, what part of New Jersey? I'm Give us from a... Central New Jersey. Okay, so um, I grew up in the Freehold area. Don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> And then um, when I was Is that where they actually have the farms? um, No. 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 no, Not really. Um, The gardens? The garden state? We have some gardens. We have a couple gardens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But when I was teaching, I was in North Carolina, and it was a very different uh, type of town and type of school than where I went growing up. But I did sort of realize that at the heart, even though it was a different generation, we still had sort of these same hopes for the future and mm-hmm. the same, you know, fears. And there's, I felt like there was sort of this um, central coming of age element that even though we can have very different experiences, it's this universal sort of moment that we all go through when we're shifting between becoming a child and becoming an adult. Right. And so that was sort of the the emotional center um, that I felt I could kind of go back to when I was writing these young adult books. So what took you to North Carolina? It was really, um, we were living in Boston after college, and we were looking uh, for a change. And um, we, my husband was interested in living in Florida, and I was interested in living in New Jersey, mm-hmm. where my family was and I grew up. And um, we sort of picked like a halfway point. Um, he knew some people from work that were out of the North Carolina office, and we just went down on a weekend and loved the area. And we moved a couple of months later. So, so you on the coast or on the mountains? We're we're actually just north of Charlotte. So oh, it's okay. about you know yeah. an hour and a half yeah. from the mountains. We're pretty right. far from the coast, but we live near a big lake right now. Oh, good, so. good. You did you um, you you placed this one in uh, Pennsylvania, yes. but did you use North Carolina as your your real setting? No. So for all the missing girls, I did set it in the mountains of North Carolina. Right. Um, and no, this was. I like the idea that it could be anywhere, um, but it was. I wanted it a little bit closer to the main character starts in Boston. Mm-hmm. And so for her, she wanted to be sort of close to MIT, as a matter of fact. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, she wanted to be close enough that um, it, it didn't feel like a completely different world, but it did. I mean, Pennsylvania isn't too far, but she's on the western side. And so for her, it does feel like mm-hmm. she can escape what she's left behind. Well, she's trying to – one of the things that happens is that uh, when she leaves, and she leaves kind of under a cloud, mm-hmm. we can let – we'll get to about the midpoint, and then I'll stop giving away okay. secrets. But um, she had been a journalist mm-hmm. and had uh, left in disgrace because she had stepped over the line and basically created things out of – you know, mm-hmm. that weren't there mm-hmm. that she want, that she assumed were true. She right. still thinks they're true. 
but uh, her boss didn't agree. Yes. Yes. So uh, she's now relocated, and the way she did is because she happened to run across someone she knew eight years ago mm-hmm. who roomed together for a while and uh, said, hey, let's go here, and supposedly threw a pin or you know a dart at a map and said, that's a good spot. Right. Right. Yes. But there are, of course, layers and layers and layers of truth in this. There are. There are. And not everyone um, is always telling the truth, and... Um, you know, I think Leah, the main character, she knew Emmy from eight years ago mm-hmm. and has this very idealized view of what this person is like and also what their friendship was like mm-hmm. because they first met at a time in Leah's life when she really needed a person like Emmy. Right. So I think she's a little... Um, she, she was looking to... for a uh, a room, right. Just really just to rent, and saw it on a board and Emmy was, was saw her and said, well, I've got a place and if you don't have any money, you can, you know... Crash for a while. Exactly. Kind of yeah. So she seemed like a person who took her in and always sort of had her back. And so when she sees her again, she thinks, you know, this is a person who is what I hoped to be mm-hmm. um, at that time in my life. And um, and so she does trust her implicitly. Right. But when they re-meet, it's not quite the same person, is it? No, it's not. And they're both sort of in desperate need of a fresh start at that point. Um, They haven't seen each other for eight years. Emmy says she's looking to escape a relationship gone bad. Leah needs to escape this fallout of a work scandal. Um, And there have been these eight years where they haven't seen each other, and they are different people at that point. So they end up uh, moving into a house. That's built in reverse, I think you described yeah. it, where the front door faces the, the forest and the sliding back door, which we would assume, mm-hmm. faces the road. Yes. So everybody can see what's going on when they drive by or walk by or stand outside. Right. And um, what's actually funny about this is because when I first started writing the book, I got about 80 pages in or so, and I read it back, and I thought, oh, I, I've just written a house from my childhood memory into this story. Oh, fun. Um, and it was it's sort of based on the same layout as this um, cabin in the woods that my grandparents had um, in Poconos mm-hmm. that we would used to go ah, to. And okay. so we'd walk up the front porch and there were these sliding glass doors and you'd, the main entrance was sort of around this side. But it was that idea that there were these sliding glass doors that you would always walk through and you could look out and people could see and if you were driving by. Yeah. Now, these two women kind of camp out. There's some furniture and they get other furniture in, you know, rummage sales and stuff like that. and But uh, neither of them really are what you would call hoarders or keepers or, you know, hold on to things. They have very minimal mm-hmm. possessions. Yeah, um, I think they were, you know, when Leah moves from Boston, she says it would cost more to move most of her things than to replace. Mm-hmm. And I think she was looking to really start over and that sort of leaving her things behind was signifying that where she thought I can start fresh in a new place. Um, and the house came partially furnished and Emmy has accumulated some things here and there, but um, neither of them have really made it into a home and uh, I think Leah says at one point that it's she was almost still shocked that this was her life and she hasn't really settled into it yet. Okay, let's talk about the high school mm-hmm. where she begins teaching. Um, first time teaching. Mm-hmm. In your first time, I assume you went back and drew upon your experience walking in that door the first time. You taught science. Yes, I did. Yeah, and she's teaching English, I think, yes. right? Yeah. So um, did you have similar experiences? <laughs> Well, I <laughs> or is this a, a generic teacher moment? Yeah, no, I uh, I didn't really draw on particular moments, but this feeling of um, 
realizing that you are all of a sudden standing in front of a classroom. And I did go about becoming a teacher in a similar way as Leah did, where I um, got my certification after getting my first degree sort of as I was teaching. Right. Um, Because you can do that in North Carolina. um, Yes. Yes. It was like the lateral entry. Everybody in California says, oh, that you can't do that Yes. Um, as long as I had the degree in biology already and right. then, um, took my teaching certification courses. Sure. Um, so I wasn't drawing on particular experiences, uh, but just that feeling of starting over in a place for the first time in a new career as well um, and taking a few minutes to sort of settle in. Mm-hmm. And standing in front of the class and having knowing that everyone in there knows you're a fraud. <laughs> <laughs> right? I've never yeah. taught before. You don't know that, but I do. Now, tell me about the other uh, the other. Uh, well, you want to talk about a couple of the kids that, she, that are in her class because they're significant in the book. They are. They play a pretty big role in the story as it goes on. Um, there, there are some kids that and I think this has been something that Leah has struggled with over time where she sees people a certain way because she she sort of on first instinct says you're this type of person right. and maybe that is not who they are. And I think she does that with a few of her students as well. And mm-hmm. it takes her a little while to sort of peel back the layers and see, no, there's more to these kids that meets the eye, just that there's more to me and more to Emmy. And so I think everyone in this book has um, these moments where they have to look at each other and wonder how much do we really know about each other? Um, because I think, you know, a lot of, especially when you move to a new place for the first time, you sort of present a narrative about yourself and you tell people the bits and pieces you want right. to. And they do the same to you as well. And it takes a little while to to think about what might be under the surface that you're not saying. You remember the movie The Breakfast Club? Yes. Yeah, yes. Because these that. some of the characters are like, you know, similar to some of those those yeah. people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. That mix of, mm-hmm. you know, real cocky and that mix of real uh, kiss up and real et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but the staff at the school, mm-hmm. and one in particular, she has some support from the administration, which yes. is always important. It is. But there's this uh, coach. So mm-hmm. let's tell here. Tell us about the coach. Yeah. So when she um, when she first moves to town, she meets someone when she's registering at the district, and he is um, the basketball coach, and um, she agrees to go out to lunch with him just to sort of get a feel of the school and the lay of the land and a new place. But she quickly realizes that he might have had a different idea. Mm-hmm. And then things start to um, turn more antagonistic. And she doesn't uh, – he's he's a little more – she believes she starts getting um, messages and calls from him um, that she tries to ignore. And so that's sort of been going on in the background. Um, Heavy when the breathing. Begins. Yes, 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 that she's receiving phone calls um, and emails and um, yeah, so she believes that he is stalking her. Yeah, stalking yeah, her. Right, and he loses his job. He does lose his, his job. coach. Yes, because he of of her specifically, or is or it seems to be bigger than that. It is. There's there's lots of little things that are going on in this town, and um, sort of the inciting incident that happens in this story is that a woman is found um, beaten and near dead uh, at the lake very close to where Leah lives, and she looks very similar mm-hmm. to Leah mm-hmm. as well. And that's sort of what sets everything in motion. And if Leah were walking through the woods, I mean, it's not far, a quarter mile or less. Yeah. And uh, if she happened to have been there, someone could have mistaken her for Leah. Right. And so somebody said that they saw the coach down there as well. Uh-huh. And that's sort of why they, right. yeah. 
There's a lot of people walking around at night in this. There town. are, <laughs> there are. Yes, the old biddies who watch everything, and the and the teenage boys who sketch everything, mm-hmm. and the and the who knows how else, right? Yeah. We have um, another thing happening though is that uh, her friend Emmy mm-hmm. is all of a sudden not there right. around the same time. Yes. So um, they they work different schedules, Leah and Emmy. And so Leah thinks that sometimes it's not unusual for her not to see Emmy for a day or two. Mm -hmm. Um, But she starts to really get concerned because the rent is due. um, And she realizes she hasn't seen her for several days at this point. Right, right. She leaves notes for her and realizes that Emmy hasn't been getting them. They've sort of slipped under the table. But when she eventually reports Emmy missing... Um, there's no proof that she was ever there to begin with. Right. Now, one of the other things that's happening, you, you mentioned this already, she kind of makes what you would call journalistic assumptions about people because she's really good at interviewing and all these other positive attributes, you know, that she she tells about herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, it really gets in the way of her actually seeing and meeting and understanding what's really happening. Yes. And she keeps flashing back to... The incident in Boston. Mm-hmm. So I have a little part here. Um, in fact, it starts out with her with a very positive statement. If you could just read here and then to where it stops there. Okay. Sure. Right here. Right there. And was... then our listeners will get a chance to hear how you okay. write. Thanks. I was good at getting people to talk. So if a story involved teenagers, it was mine. I was a 29-year-old who looked 22, who could slide into conversation over here without being side-eyed. It was meant to be a piece on the lacking mental health services on a college campus. The angle of the story was supposed to be on the academic and social pressures, the things we had not prepared our children for, the dark corners we all might find ourselves in, from which there appeared to be no way out. It was to be a personal interest story as well, a tribute, in fact, bringing these women to light and to life while showcasing the ways the system had failed them, hoping that it would not happen again. That was the change I was set to bring about. I knew all the details before I arrived on campus. Christy and Alicia, both the year prior, in the weeks before and after spring break, respectively. Camilla and Bridget following the next march, the tipping point. I had already worked out the setup, knew what readers wanted to hear, and saw how to frame it. There will typically be a rash of killings in a summer heat wave, the world feverish, no air conditioning, and we lie stripped down in our apartment, sticking our heads in the refrigerator, dripping cold water onto our bare stomachs, the backs of our necks. The things you do in that sort of heat. Violent crime rises with the heat, but the winter is worse on the psyche. The endless gray that never breaks, and the way you have to bundle yourself in layers and layers, eventually forgetting who you are underneath. It's another person living inside another skin. You feel too big or too small. But suicide season is the spring. My theory, the world sheds its layers. Life springs anew, but you do not. Or you do, and you don't like what you find. So this story, the suicide epidemic at the university, the human interest piece with the guts of a train wreck, the horror, the allure, it was perfect for me. It was even more perfect because the school once was mine as well. I had insight to the inner workings, the finer details. We went to school in the dark in the winter, navigating linked halls underground, never seeing daylight. The buzzing of the lights and the air of Matter Hall made a constant white noise, and voices faded while we retreated further into ourselves, as if there were something physical separating us. I stopped so many students those first few days, 
everyone who made eye contact, even those who hadn't, before, before moving on to the more personal connections, so I'd have something to present first. There were so many students who said they'd talk as long as I didn't mention their names. So, so many, until eventually I could recall a statement and wonder if it was ever really spoken to me at all. We talked about Bridget the most because her death was the most recent and because she had been the better known. Her acquaintances were all still shell-shocked, emotionally drained, repeating the we-didn't-know-we-didn't-know refrain that I had come to expect, and yet it left me unsettled. What I will remember, the red creeping up my boss's neck, his words dropped down to a whisper, my God, Leah, what did you do? The buzzing in my ears when it all went south. When I was called into a sterile, empty office, the echo of his warning, libel, culpable, lawsuit, arrest. I knew then it was Noah who had turned me into my boss, that his preemptive warning had not just had been not just in regard to my reputation. After the fallout, I could imagine him whispering in Logan's ear, she was going after him, that professor. She had no proof, and yet she framed it around him. I was so sure. I still am. Uh-huh. Now, it's interesting because when I read that, I could see that in a young adult novel, someone in, who just started in college, for okay. instance, and had the same reactions to the different seasons and the, um, you know, be lying hot in the bed one night and be all bundled up and living mm-hmm. underground, essentially, for the, the winters as, under the, as you say, the tunnels. The um, The thing is that she does not seem to be able to step back enough to see what she's doing, how she's doing it all again. Right? It is. It's true. It's sort of her, you know, her big flaw. And it's she's seen it as her strength for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, you know, really blinded to, I think, you know, she says that you can use a story to get to truth. And she really believes that, you know, the ends justify the means and that she couldn't possibly be wrong. Right. Um, and that she'd be forgiven if only she could prove it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, she's she gets in her own way. So if she were Sherlock Holmes, she'd be sure of the uh, who did it. But. Uh, we're not sure, mm-hmm. especially by the end of the book, yeah. right? Yep. Um, the Your first book, your first adult book, All the Missing Girls, you wrote in reverse chronological I order, did. sort of like the Inception movie, I gather, um, which starts in reverse chronological order. Oh, Memento? In, Memento, uh, yes, yes. yes. Memento, mm-hmm. sorry, different. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. The um, um, so that was that a challenge to you, or did was it an idea of how to tell the story the best, yeah. or what? It was it was a little bit of both. Um, I had the idea a while before I actually was able to write the book that I wanted to tell the unwinding of a mystery. Um, I'm somebody who starts with character before plot, and I thought it would be an interesting way to explore character motivation Mm -hmm. so that you're starting and you're seeing what's happening, and as you move back in time, you're stripping away another layer of why something happened. Um, And I am very interested in story structure, either in television or movies or books, and what different structures reveal. If you know the end at the start, what is the story then revealing to you? Um, And so I thought... That in this book, it would be it could be tied really tightly to this theme of needing to go back into the past for answers. Mm -hmm. And um, it was sort of a way for the main character to be working through everything that she thought she knew about the past as well. Um, So that was sort of the idea behind it. Um, It it was a challenge to write. Um, 
because I don't do a lot of plotting beforehand, I need to write my way into the story. And I did write it in the order that it's read. Really? Yes. Um, And so I knew the backstory of what had happened 10 years ago when the first girl went missing and sort of used that as a backbone um, of reveals to sort of write the the present storyline over top of. But it was a constantly evolving draft because once I would figure something out, Everything I'd already written would need to change because technically that came afterwards. So how does a biologist become a novelist? You know, I I think I've always loved to read and write. I loved science growing up and I loved writing as well. And I didn't know anyone who was a writer. I didn't know the path um, to becoming, to making my career as a writer, but I did know people in the science field and I knew the path to becoming a scientist. Mm -hmm. So I figured I would go into the field of science and I would continue writing on the side. Um, But I gave writing up for a while in the meantime. Um, And it wasn't until it was my third career when I really became, you know, sat down and finished my first book. So I had been working in biotechnology and then I was a high school science teacher, which kind of opened my eyes up to YA stories as well again. Um, And then when I had kids of my own, I'd set myself the goal that if I really wanted this to be my career, if this is what I love to do, Mm -hmm. then I needed to treat it like my career. And so I set myself the goal just to finish something. Um, And I wrote every night when they were sleeping in my first book, did sort of in- incorporate all those different backgrounds. So it was young adult. Um, it had a weird science angle to it, kind of like a what-if idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read a lot of thrillers growing up. I've always loved thrillers. Um, but it obviously it needed a lot of work after I reached the end. Um, but I did sort of – that was sort of the the moment when I realized, okay – you know, I, I can finish something, and now what's the next step from here? Well, what was the next step? The next step was, at first, I thought it was, you know, I did a little editing, what I thought was editing at the time, and I figured, you know, the worst people could say was no, so I sent it out to agents. and Blind over the transom. I did, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of researched, you know, what different agents were looking for and tried to pick agents I thought were right, right fit, um, and I got a lot of feedback from them about, you know, what I was missing. And, Rather than just a form letter. Yeah, well, that's and I... Good. I I actually, yeah. the, the agent I'm with now, she gave me fantastic feedback and said, you know, if you'd like to rewrite it, um, I'd like to see it. And I had to rewrite it twice. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing that's the same are the first four sentences um, <laughs> yeah, and the title. That's, that's all that stayed the same. So it's really like my third book. But um, gotcha. yeah, so that was sort of the process. of. Well, the story, the backstory, the story in Boston mm-hmm. really is a, almost like a book on itself. Yeah. You could, you know, you could, uh, was that? How did this one come together? Because you told me how the other one worked. Right. How did this work? So I, again, I got the idea first from from thinking of characters. And All the Missing Girls is about this group of friends who's known each other forever. Right. And because of that, the main character finds it inescapable. She feels like she can never become somebody new. But it's also the kind of place that, you know, everyone knows everything about you for better or worse, and they keep your secrets. So as I was in the middle of writing this but, book— Maybe not. Maybe not. There's always that potential. Right. Right. They know everything. That's right. Yes. Um, So I got the idea sort of in the middle of that book that, well, I'm sort of interested in doing something different for the next book where instead of characters who know each other, I wanted it to be about people who knew nothing about each other. The perfect stranger. Yes. (laughs) Um, And instead, I thought a lot about, you know, how we meet as adults and um, when you move to a new place and you sort of tell people who you are. And that was sort of the idea behind the characters there. Yeah, but there's at least six perfect strangers in this. There book. are. It could. It could go. It could be about anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Especially uh, Emmy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
because we, as the more we find out about her, the more we find we didn't know anything about her. Right. Yeah. Right. Which I'm going to stop right there. Okay. Okay. You are listening to Word by Word Conversations with writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Today, Gail Manser is chatting with the New York Times bestselling author Megan Miranda about her new psychological thriller, The Perfect Stranger. So far, we've met Leah, the disgraced journalist who's become a high school teacher in rural Pennsylvania, discovered that Leah's roommate Emmy has gone missing, learned that a stranger who looks a lot like Leah is in a coma from an assault, and been introduced to a hunky cop named Kyle. There's more to come in the next half hour, so stay tuned. Um, let's see. We've got several. This is a fascinatingly, interestingly constructed book, and it's almost like a scientist had to do it. You know, you've got all the different parts, and you said, how do they How do they blend together? What's, what's the cross-pollinization going on here? Because you've got Leah as a teacher. We've talked about the fact that she's relocating. Mm-hmm. We talked about the precipitating event of finding, you know, the other woman who looks very similar. Um, and then, um, the fact that she's constantly in touch with her mother or her mother actually is in touch with her mm-hmm. and she, her mother is one of those who says, what are you doing this for? I don't understand. You have a different career path and now you're doing this and dear, don't you want to come home? Right. Right. So, um, nobody knows anybody like that, right? Right. We have, um. So Leah gets involved in the cop part, the, you know, the, the uh, what do we call it, where you, you know, the cops have to do things in a certain way. And right. they, but she plays off one against, you know, the other and tries to find out information by being chummy with one and then becomes very chummy with one particular lo- nice looking guy. She does. And then in a fascinating sequence in the book, which I'm going to recommend that the readers look for, mm-hmm. she, Leah explains to Kyle how similar they are mm-hmm. that as his job as a policeman and her job as a journalist have so many overlaps. They're looking for the truth. Right. And when faced with it, there's a moral question. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do to get it? And That's do the right. ends justify the right. means? Sort right. of? Yeah. Yeah. And you say, and it's interesting because Emmy set that up years ago, mm-hmm. I think, as I recall, and um, she says, okay, you found a friend who's committed a murder. What do you do? One, mm-hmm. two, or three? Right. Yes. Right. She says, you know, do you um, do you call the police? Right. Do you do nothing um, or do you help them? Help and, them cover it up. Right. Yeah, bury the right. body. Right. right. And she sort of uses that as a way to um, – she says you can categorize all your relationships by thinking about that question. That's how Emmy presents it. To so her. that little bit, uh, which has legs on its own, did you have have do you put things down and you know file cards and keep it for future books, or does this come to you as you're writing, or it, a little bit of both? So um, sometimes I'll have different ideas that I'm not sure will make it into the same book, and then they seem to kind of come together. Um, a lot of them come when I'm actually writing, mm-hmm. and um, I I walk. Um, my kids go to school close enough to walk, and so I walk back and forth. And on How the old way, are your kids now? They are nine and almost 11. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so when I'm walking home, I'll make a lot of notes to myself on my phone. And it's not necessarily that I'm thinking about the plot. But, but you just, are watching where you're walking, right? Please? Yes, yes. Okay, I'm when walking. you come to the crosswalk? Yes. Okay. I stop in the roads, yes, <laughs> yeah. 
but it can be just setting ideas and um, and each or think of a line and each one I find gives rise to sometimes a whole different storyline and how it fits in. Or I think a lot about the characters and their backstories. And mm-hmm. so or I think about motivations. And so that sort of gives rise. How do you to, keep track of that? Um, a couple of different ways. So I have a whiteboard that I keep beside uh, my desk and like multicolored sticky notes. Oh, the post-it Did, notes. Yes. Yeah, those are great. I'm a big We've fan of We've got to thank the inventor of that. Yeah. Who, who were not those two ladies who went to the uh, reunion, you know. Oh, it's not Yeah. Romy and Michelle. <laughs> High school reunion. They yes. claimed they invented the post-it notes, remember? Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. They didn't. No. Well, I do love post-it notes. Yeah. They're excellent. Especially and... the... Different colors. Yeah, and I can keep, like, different plot lines separate and different ideas separate. I could see this book laid out like that. Yeah, Yeah, and so I would start to have it broken down into quarters of the book, and I would, when I have an idea, I'll stick it in one section where I think it would go. And you can sort of see, like, a skeleton forming over time Mm -hmm. as you do it. Actually, I was making notes as we were going through because we have several different plot lines. Yeah. And I said, i got to keep this straight. (laughs) So I didn't use Post-its, but I could have. similar, yeah. Yeah. And then I also use um, a program called Scrivener. Oh, yeah. I love Scrivener. And it. It's great to sort of write in scenes. I started mm-hmm. – um, it was very helpful. It's good with, for uh, for writing um, movie scripts. Too. Yes. Yeah. I've heard that. Um, and I love that you can kind of make notes and note cards and that then you can just kind of look at the outline as it's forming right. and make notes as you go. So I did in each scene. You can even color like code notes. those note cards. Yes. 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 It's, it's a fun, wonderful it's thing. It's a fun program. It is. Yeah. Good. Okay. So um, – I don't know. We're at a point where we can't tell too much. Let's see if there's something. Um, okay, well, when Emmy goes missing, she was seen with somebody. And this is a strange thing. You mentioned how they live different times of the day because she worked at night as a desk clerk mm-hmm. at some, motel. what did she call it? She called it the last, last chance. Stop, the last stop motel. Last motel. stop motel, right. Yeah. And, um, so when she'd bring somebody home, mm-hmm. you know, Leah would hear them. Mm-hmm. And then she saw the guy's back as he left in his car. And that right. was about all that, you know, she knew about them. Um, and then when her roommate goes missing, she keeps, she assumes that she's gone off with him somewhere. Right. And she writes notes, mm-hmm. which we were talking about, which she leaves, you know, in on the table to be, you know, found. Mm-hmm. But they're never picked up. No. No. No, they're not. And she also finds that some of them have slipped underneath the table. And right. she thought Emmy was taking them, but she has not Could been. not been. That yes. was just the wind or something. Yep. Yeah. See, she'd use the post-it notes. <laughs> yes. <there>. So <laughs> I'm at a point. We can't – I don't want to – I don't want to give it away. The um, – let's just put it this way. It's not what you expect. I began to wonder if Leo was – the other girl, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure that you wrote it that way, right? Yes. And I think the cops wonder that, yes. too. Yes. yes. And um, I was just trying to figure out by the end if Leah has grown up at all. You know, I think I think she has. I think there's still – I mean, I, I think at this, the end of the book, she's still driven by the same – sort of element of finding, you know, she has to... Yeah, but get... she has to go and do that ridiculous standing outside in the dark thing that she does. Yes, yeah. she does. She yeah. still puts herself, you know, she's still, she does. Yeah. And I think this is her character trait, you know, sort of for better or for worse, like there's this element, but I think that she has, 
she was able to look back at herself and see that some things were not quite as black and white. So I think in that way she has grown. I think she's come face to face with how she perceived things versus maybe how they truly are. And hopefully we'll use that going forward. Yeah, I thought so. And then she went and, you know, did that crazy (laughs) trip. Um, What kind of questions are you getting from people? People read the book when you go on your tour? Some. Some. Some some are more. Enough? Yeah. Yeah. Are they good questions? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Is everybody understanding what happened? Do they all need a, a chart? Like I no, that I did get with all the missing girls more ah, because it was moving in going, reverse. Yeah, so I'd get a lot of, yeah. you know, let me make sure I've got this I actually read one uh, review where the, she said, after I'd finished it, I went back and read it from the other way around. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So what questions are coming up that we can talk about? Well, Not plot points, you know, that yeah, we don't want to give away yeah. Um Well, there are, there are a lot about kind of identity, and that's sort of what I've been talking about Um about kind of the heart of the book is it's this idea of, you know, are we, how much of our identity comes from who we think we are or how others perceive us and how much of other people's identities are sort of the person that we want them to be. And so that's, a lot of the questions have been about the Leah Emmy Mm -hmm. dynamic. Mm -hmm. Well, that's understandable. Yeah. What about the Leah and her sister dynamic? I haven't gotten as many questions about that. Because I find that fascinating in contrast. Yes. Yeah. The older sister who, you know, knows the answers. Yeah. And has a successful life. Yes. And I think, you know, this is one of the reasons that Leah doesn't want to tell her family that she hasn't succeeded at the job or the career that she had in place. um, And that her reasons for moving are also because she had to. But, you know, her mother raised both... Leah and her sister on this path to be successful, and mm-hmm. her sister was. Mm-hmm. And she went through medical school, and she's a doctor. Um, and Leah looked like she was on that same sort of a successful path, and now is in a completely different uh, starting over side of her what life. What about Megan? Did she have a mom who wanted her to be on a successful path as well? Uh, I mean, I, I had very, I had very supportive parents who. Um, they really supported every different interest I had, and it's. Um, I think I credit them with sort of being able to change careers and and have the you know to feel like I have their support to do that throughout. So when you became a teacher mm-hmm. instead of a biotech yeah. person, um, that was okay. Yeah, In fact, said, it was encouraged. It was. Okay. They were like, "That sounds great." Yeah. yeah. And the relocation. Yep. Well, it wasn't Florida. No, and now they actually live. Um, like less than a mile away from oh, me now. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Oh, how fun is yeah. that? Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So you have, um, you've obviously given lots of advice to people who want to write. You've given tremendous encouragement. You were this, uh, you know, you were these, this, this rare bird, this uh, person who found an agent, who found a publisher who's become successful in what she wants to do and, you know, paying some bills along the way, which is Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's kind of what everybody goes to these, uh, you know, writers conferences to yeah. learn how to do. Yeah. No, have I you love, done any of those? Have you spoken? I have. Yeah. Um, and I really like them as well because you, you meet other people who are, you know, writing is very, I'm alone in my office right. most of the time. And it's so nice to meet, you know, the writing community in person. Um, I did meet a lot of people online as I was going through the process, but it's wonderful to sort of have that in person. Was that helpful? I did. I, you know, I have, um, I met a few writers through my agent. Mm-hmm. And so we. Okay. So yeah, you were introduced to people. I who, was. Yeah, gotcha. um, and then um, they're now my critique partners. We've been sharing manuscripts since sort of when we all started, and it's been great, very helpful. So you've got there your critique group in a sense. Yes. Good. Yes. Good. Now you've got a blog. 
but it's not as chatty as most. No. Yeah, I would say, you know, it's more about, well, I'm going to go here and I'm my book is, you know, in this point in the process type of thing. Yeah, it's more informational. Yeah. All right. Was that a, a decided choice before you began it or? Because you know what I'm talking yeah. about. There's some people who spend more time writing their blog than they do right. writing their books, I right. think, right. based on what I read. Um, yeah, I, I thought that, you know, I wanted to sort of channel my creative writing into uh, my books. And um, I never – I did more blogging before, but um, mostly it's – I use it more for informational. And sometimes it would be where I am in the writing process. But it was usually more about writing than mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. my life or anything like that. You can always take those little entries and make them into a presentation at some writer's conference oh, now. Yeah, yeah. So your next project mm-hmm. is what? Um, so I am – I'm still actually writing both young adult and adult fiction. Okay. Let, now let's yeah. let's let's oh. take that because okay. that was a question I wanted to ask. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> um, when you sit down to write young adult, do you have constraints put on you for what you can write in any way? I no, do not. Mm-mm. You do not. No. Your publishers do not. No, it's it's more about you know what's right for the story and the character, um, and staying true to that is the mm-hmm. way I think about mm-hmm. it. Um, so, how is it different? So, for me, it's more that the story kind of picks the whether it's going to be a young adult or an adult story versus me setting out to be like, I'm going to write a young adult story. Now let me think of an idea. Um, and so for me, the the narrator is the big difference. And when I'm thinking of an idea. The voice. Yes. yes. Um, and, and even just their perspective. So one of the hallmarks of the young adult writing for me is that there's this real immediacy to something. And People are experiencing something for the first time, maybe, and they're not really – they don't have 10 years' worth of experience and um, to put things in perspective. Um, and so when I'm thinking of an adult novel, it's more that they're filtering their views through 10, 15 years of experience. And um, so I think about it more in the narrator and the voice as the big difference. Well, one of the things as I was reading this is I was realizing you have the teacher and student relation. Yeah. So you have the young adults, mm-hmm. on, you know, who have their voice in, in the book. But um, the opposite of that would be, in other words, I've read young adult books where, and you've seen the movies too, I'm sure, some of the same books, where parents are basically, you know, just ciphers. Right. They don't, they're not important to these kids' lives at all. Right. They don't go and check when something horrible happens. You don't go there first. You don't go to the police first. Mm-hmm. You go to your buddies first, mm-hmm. right? Your pals. And um, they've got all the answers because they can look it up. <gasps> they don't use um, cell phones that much here in this Pennsylvania town. Yeah, they they don't use them too much. I mean, they have Well, they, them. they do. They yeah. have them. But it's yes. not... You know, they're not like they're I not see. Glued to them. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Well, they're not supposed to be in class, but right. Yeah, yeah. They was that true in North Carolina too? Yeah, I mean, this was this was like eleven years ago, oh, okay. though. So yeah. I think things have probably changed, but they used to have to yeah, a whole new generation put their cell phones in like yeah. a bin whenever there was a test. How are we doing? Thirty minutes. Perfect. Okay. So, what do you want um, readers to know? I've got to ask you another question about listeners to know and writers to know. But what about readers? What do you want them to know? About the story? Or... Uh, see, uh, yeah. this is one of those wide open questions. How would you – what do you think I was asking? Well, I guess I would want them to know, you know, the type of 
book that I or what I hope that the books are and where they start in the heart of the story. And um, they are psychological thrillers, and I love reading that genre. And um, for me, the hearts of the story usually are from a theme that I start with and that I'm looking to explore. And I hope that the book is sort of that journey as well. And so for All the Missing Girls, the the theme idea was sort of this idea of different ways people can disappear. And there's the people who walk into the woods and they don't come back out. And there's people who choose to leave a place. And I was wondering then if there were ways that um, different versions of ourselves could disappear over time mm-hmm. or whether they still mm-hmm. live inside. And um, for The Perfect Stranger, one of the themes was this idea of identity, but another one was truth versus story and um, what one could reveal that the other could not. And, right. and so that sort of fuels both the character journey and I think the external plots as well. Well, the interesting thing in the small town uh, that uh, she moves to, Leah finds out that uh, the newcomers, almost every single newcomer has a, a reborn story, right. a rewritten story or a escape from story, right? including the cop. Yeah, and it's it's a town that has recently um, basically doubled in size, and so the town is in flux, and the people are in flux, um, and a lot of people have moved there for the opportunity for a fresh start, and so they all do sort of have these stories of why they're leaving a place behind. Right, and when they get there, they're categorized by where they move mm-hmm. because the you know the big places across the lake and the right. place that Leah's staying in, which has been there for I don't know. 40 years or so. Right. It's got like the last names of the kids in her class. Right. And so even the school has this dynamic now where there's kids that have been there forever. And then there's people who have just sort of moved into town and are changing things a little bit. So is that small town um, feel? I mean, you know, I live in a supposedly a small town, but we're yeah. so close to San Francisco that we're all part of the same big, you know, expansion. Right. But um, when you visited the Poconos as a mm-hmm. kid, Mm-hmm. Was it small town? No, it's not set in. No, I know the that same. it's a different area. Yeah, I mean, it did have. I think different areas have different feels to them, and there's like communities that can feel small town. And I think sort of the the landscaping can also make something feel mm-hmm. more isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, when you're in the woods and there's not a lot of houses around, um, and so I think that's sort of the the feel of this book. Do you have a specific place in mind? Um, I have, I've done some, I have like an area, a general area on a map, but it is not, I make up all of the. Did you visit the area? I did not visit this particular area. Oh, okay. Um, I, for all the missing girls I did and I said it in a, but I still made it up and I still, I feel like I pulled different elements from different pieces of my memory. So, um, for all the missing girls, I pulled like a memory from a cavern's to a town elsewhere. Um, and I do like to sort of create a town from the ground up. Oh, interesting. Totally fictionalize it. So you're character but not location-based. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. a, I've had people in that chair who were completely opposite. Yeah. You know, the the place yeah. is the one that, that, that prompts them to do something. Well, I think in a way the place does. So I went um, – I was really inspired to write the setting of All the Missing Girls when I was visiting kind of at the edge of the Smoky Mountains. And it's a place where you're sitting there and you can almost feel like legends can almost become possible. You're on the edge of the no, woods. No, they are. They're not, yeah. There's no question. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then I built – then I kind of created a different town based on that. But I will say the setting does inspire me. I mean I think the house set in a woods inspired me but not a whole town 
Well, I delight. I was delighted in the fact that you didn't take the house set in the edge of the woods and then go spooky, you know, Stephen King yeah. with it. Because I expected this paranormal all of a sudden entity of something glowing in the night. I do have one major question. Okay. Why didn't she ever put a curtain in the window? Right? Yes. Yes. Come she, on. She stands there and she says, oh, I'm completely vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But she never goes. She's got, you know, sheets or something. She or she bought a bolt cutter. So we right. know she's, there's a store where she can get she blinds. I think she likes to see out, too. It's that idea of. In the of daytime. She, yes. She likes yeah, it in the daytime. But in the nighttime. Yeah. But she also is not out in that area at nighttime. Well, she could be. But. Her room she is walks set around further back. Outside. She does. She yeah. does. And this was something that was sort of my memory of the house where I was in the Poconos. Right. And I remember um, sleeping in the living room one night because it's two bedrooms and I was there with a lot of my cousins yeah. and sort of staring at these glass doors. And on the one hand, you're like, oh, it's nature. It's beautiful. But then you sort of wonder what could be looking in as well. Yeah, but comparing so. it to Boston where, you know, you get all these shadows of light when the cars go by and the, you know, the neon signs go on or whatever mm-hmm. else is outside and yeah. it's so removed and it so is. different it is yeah. and so in a way it's... you feel that you are private you know because you're in the middle of the woods but on the flip side you don't really know who's out there or right. Shalia doesn't know well who's she out keeps there. hearing things she too. does hear things she doesn't know if it's the animals but well, bears and... maybe I heard bears mentioned. maybe yeah mm, lions and tigers and bears yes probably just cats and raccoons yes Probably. <laughs> Probably all she's hearing. Although maybe not, we discover later. Mm-hmm. Um, not to give anything away. Maybe there was something under the house. There might have been. There might have been. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it, it's a, a very, very interesting book. Um, what should I suggest? You don't read it in little bits and pieces. You, you block out some time. Mm-hmm. Read half of it at least. First half. And then you can, you know, take a break. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. how I would do it. I don't know about the whole thing at once. That'd take a while. That would take a long time. Yeah. 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 Um, so how long does it take you to write? Um, it's, the first draft, just the first so, draft. I'm going to guess about six months. It's oh. hard to say entirely because um, I I will often stop in the middle and restart once I sort of get an idea of um, where the book is going and where it needs to go. Um, and I also will sometimes stop to edit, you know, mm-hmm. another book that is right. coming out soon. Right. Um, but I think it's about, it takes me about nine months from when I start to where I feel it's in good enough shape to send into my editor, which is uh-huh. not necessarily the first draft. Yeah. 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 I would hope not. Yeah. No. Unless you're Isaac Asimov, <laughs> who claims he never rewrote. Oh, really? Which is not true. Yeah. His editors say, no, it's not true. <laughs> um, so when you, it takes you nine months to put it together, when, when did this go, when were you done with it? How long ago was... Were you moving on to your next project? I had finished this. I had this book into my editor before last summer. Oh, even before that, actually. Quite a. It's. I was editing it um, in the spring. A year and summer. a half before it comes out in the bookstore? Mm-hmm. Okay. About. About. And I'm about two thirds of the way through my next adult psychological right. suspense. And that probably would be maybe next summer mm-hmm. or something. And you're also doing YA now. I am. At the same time? I don't, bits, I don't bits, draft don't... them at the same time. No. Um, I sort of need to focus on one at a time. So I, I'm really only doing a first draft of one at a time. And then when I send that one in, um, then I'll focus on the other one for a little while. So, Do your characters talk to you? Yes, yes. they do. They do. I, the characters will linger with me for a long time after a book as well. Or I'll think about them. 
Ah, interesting. So do you have, is the next one a sequel? No. No. Because I think people were expecting a sequel to your first book. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, I I hadn't read it. So I was wondering if the story in Boston was the first book. No. I had found out. No. You know, online. No, they're not, they're not related. Um, I, I feel like I like where I leave the characters at the end of a story. And then what I think if, if I had to. Yeah, but look, imagine, imagine five years from now. Yeah. Are Kyle and Leah together or not? And why? Right. And what have they found out since? And has he looked at her ever and says, you're crazy lady. But you know, then I, I I realize if I'm going to do another thriller about the characters, I'm going to have to be really mean to them. And I'm like, oh, you already went through. No, no, you can be really nice to them. (laughs) I can be really nice to them. No, seriously, if they are really, let's say they become really nice characters Mm -hmm. and then something out of the blue happens Mm -hmm. that they have no control over and they have to react. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'll never say never. Um, I definitely wouldn't say I wouldn't do a sequel, but right now I'm working on. Do you like Leah? I do. I'm happy with the end where it is. Yeah. Okay. So, would she appear as in a little bit in it somewhere else? Possibly. Possibly, because the same timeline. Yeah, I mean, my next book um, is actually set in Maine, though. Ah, um, so, well, not that far. Yeah, it's possible. It's still in the East Coast, right? And are you have a particular place in Maine? Are you on the coast with this one? It is on the it coast on of the Maine, coast. yes. So you yes. get the weather. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I love your descriptions. In fact, I love your descriptions about the city, about Boston, and, you yes. know, being there in the neighborhoods and the because mm-hmm. they felt right. You Thanks. know, the other place was kind of generically right. country. So. Right. Right. But this, the Boston parts, anybody who's from that area mm-hmm. or visited there will, will recognize the spots. The, um, so what's your family think of you of having a writer as their uh, mom and yeah. and wife? Yeah, I mean they it's it's funny because my kids they were 1 and 3 when I started writing right. and so they've really sort of come on this journey and have seen every sort of the process from the outsider. I'm like, "Okay, we need a title. We need a title. Let's brainstorm some titles here." Um so they they love it. They're um they're really big readers as well and um my daughters uh, it's it's really weird for me because she just uh, read the first young adult book of mine, uh-huh. um, and so the first was... one in the series. Uh, no, 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 she read um, Soul Print, which was not my first one, but I thought would be the best one for her to okay. start with. Yeah, so, I got you. Yeah, yeah, because of the subject matter. Mm-hmm. The um, so they've always known mommy is a writer, right? Yeah, that's yeah. your that's your job. Yeah, yeah, your persona. Mm-hmm. And, and they... do they, are they going to write? I hope they do whatever they would love to do. I mean, they. My son definitely does love to write stories. So does my daughter. She's she's huge reader. Mm-hmm. She just devours Isn't books. Isn't that great? So it is. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's wonderful because. And your husband. Yeah. Did he know he was going to end up with a writer? You know, he was actually the one who sort of encouraged me to to take that step the first time because I think ever since I met him and I met wow. him back in college. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. He's great. Um, I told him and. You know, I love to write. One day, I want to write. I want to write books, and I'd been saying this for a long time. In books, you meant novels. Yes, it didn't mean scientific texts. Right, right, right. And I've been saying it for a while, and um, not really, you know, taking the steps to do it. Um, and so he sort of 
was saying to me, you know, if this is this is what you want to do, then are you going to take a shot at it? And it was like, when am I going to take a shot at this? Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of gave me the kick to really. And literally, you were doing it on the in the mornings and evenings when the kids were down. I was doing it in the evenings. In the evenings, um, yeah. And that's how I started. You didn't writing. go on a two week vacation and say, I did not. "Okay, no. hubby, you take care of them for a while. I'm going to go right." No, but he would um, take them out on uh, the weekends and sort of give me that daylight time, gotcha. and they'd go on their little like adventures in the day, and um, I'd be writing. Um, so yeah, that's how I wrote the that's, the first book. It's just really cool. It is. Yeah. It's, it's been great. It's been a great. Sort of You're very fortunate, by the way. Yeah, you should I hope you're aware of that. I know I am. Yeah. Yes. Okay. We have um, – so that was that group. So now yeah. what about our listeners who are writers, other than other than be extremely fortunate and write very well and put your you know, rear in the chair – what advice do you have? You know, I think that is the big one is, is <laughs> like for me, I think that was the big step is, you know, to to push through and do it. I think for me, the hardest part was actually finishing something for the first time because mm-hmm. it feels so overwhelming at first um, when I was looking at how long a book was. And I would write and be like, oh, that's all I wrote. 330 words. Yeah. 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 I mean, pages. Uh, right. Not words. Um, that's easy. Yeah. Right? But I think my other advice is I think um, – Everyone's backgrounds are so distinct and everyone's interests are so distinct, but that's what really makes your voice distinct as well in your writing and to just kind of embrace, you know, your own voice and your own interests. And um, my first published book had sort of all of my background in it as well. Um, And, you know, they all have pieces that I'm familiar with in this story as well, from the setting to different careers and places. And so I think it's just sort of... um, being finding your voice and and seeing where it takes you. Mm-hmm. So you said you wrote when you were young. Yeah. Yeah. So is, is this how did your parents were they in writers or academia or English teachers or any of that? That's no. often the case. My no. mom's like in accounting. Oh, um, see, that's not yeah. a, that's not a novelist. Place, no, but she was a huge reader, oh. um, and she actually had bookshelves with thrillers at home, and um, she would take me to the library each week, um, and I've, I've grown up around books because my parents were big into books. Big they into weren't books. writers, but they did love books. Right. Yes. Well, that's important. Yeah. So there's another piece of advice. Yes. Read. Yes. Read. read actually, stuff. that's probably the best. Yeah. The number one piece of advice is just to, to read a lot and to write a lot. Just keep doing it. Do you it, have any basically. favorite authors? Um, I um, that you want to tell us about. Yeah, they don't have so, to be thriller authors. No, but um, Tana French is one of my very favorite authors who writes um, the Dublin Murder Squad mm-hmm. series. And um, I love her stories because each one follows a different detective. And mm-hmm. they're, they're these character-driven mysteries. And it feels like, you know, they're everything that each detective is struggling with is something they have to face in the plot as well. I just, oh, I love her book so much. So she's one of my favorites. Well, that's a good choice. Yeah. yeah. Any of the Old timers? Yeah. I mean, Michael Crichton was, um, for me, my favorite when I was yeah, in Yeah, a lawyer school. became a writer. Yeah. Or, yeah. And um, he, you know, he went for, got all this medical background information. Right. And um, I loved science and I loved writing. And he had these stories that were based on like these what if science ideas. And also that seemed to kind of um, play off of. Things that were in the news or scientific discoveries that were sort of just on the brink. Um, and, yeah, I loved reading his stories. So do you have any uh, what-if stories coming down the pike? Uh, I, are you interested in 
you know, a, a techno thriller kind of thing? Not so much techno thriller as um, some of my young adult books focus on this. And so my last young adult novel was about um, whether fears could be inherited. And um, so it's not sort of the main plot, the but more Man like... kind of thing. Yeah. It's, yeah, so it's more like the thematic elements as opposed to a techno thriller plot. Right, yeah. right. It's not based on one new discovery or mm-hmm. anything like that. Yeah, yeah. although Soul Print um, was, that was the idea that um, scientists had discovered uh, the soul and you could track it from life to life. And so that was sort of my closest to... Would you to, want to? Well, that's sort of what the book's about, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whether you yeah. want Do to you know want, and what You know, that's that and, old when somebody hands you the, uh, the uh, piece of paper with mm-hmm. when you're going to die. Right. Do you want to open it and read it or right. not? Right, right. And who says they're right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, this has been fascinating. We have, uh, we're, we got about three left? Uh, two and a half. Two and a half. Well, can I have you read something for me? Because I'm going to sure. do a quote at the end here when I do my closeout. Okay. And it's from one of your books. Mm. And I, it's highlighted right there. Okay. You'll recognize it. Oh, I do. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So this is for, we're going to use this as the final quote for the show. Okay. Okay. I hadn't known that a light could be a feeling, and a sound could be a color, and a kiss could be both a question and an answer, and that heaven could be the ocean, or a person, or this moment, or something else entirely. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, on, we could talk about that for an hour right there. <laughs> yes. So, um, gee, all kinds of fun things. It's, it's interesting to have a book that I can't tell anybody about. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, you can yeah. lay out some of the things, and this happens, and she goes to a small town, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But then things, I mean, it happen very quickly in the beginning of the book. Yes, right? they you, do. All the new stuff comes in. and um, All I can say to my listeners is they're going to have to read it. It is called The Perfect Stranger. It is by Megan Miranda, and uh, you can find it where books are sold. Yeah. Right. Thank you so very much. Thank you very much for having me. You have been listening to Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. On today's show, Gil Manser chatted with the New York Times bestselling author Megan Miranda about her complex and exciting psychological thriller, The Perfect Stranger. The engineer for today's broadcast is also our studio manager, Sean Knight. Our radio assistant is Wendy Nicholson. Our theme music is by Bill Conti, and I am your host, Gil Manser. We invite you to join us for Word by Word special broadcast celebrating Gil Manser's 10th anniversary as our program host producer. We'll hear clips from past shows featuring Pulitzer Prize winning novelists, New York Times bestselling nonfiction writers, award winning mystery writers, filmmakers, journalists, and many of your friends and neighbors. So be sure to mark your calendar for 4 to 5, Sunday afternoon, June 11th, or plan on listening to a podcast of the show on krcb.org. Until then, Here's a thought today's guest, Megan Miranda, first wrote in her YA novel, Fractured. Fractured.